Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. I'm David Armstrong with Informa Connects Wealth Management Group. And today we're speaking to Allison Burkett, who is the head of enterprise development at Snowden Lane Partners. Since its founding by a group of Wall Street veterans in 2011, Snowden Lane recently added its 13th office, largely sticking to its breakaway broker strategy, and has topped some $10 billion in client assets this year. Burkett explains what the firm is looking for in partner firms and what's on the roadmap going forward. This conversation took place at the RIA Edge West Conference in Marina del Rey on September 28th, which is why the auto quality is a little bit choppy, but I learned a lot more about Snowden Lane, and I hope you do too. Thanks for listening. Allison, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So, Allison, we're recording this at the RIA Edge event uh, in uh, California this week, uh, and the whole theme here is growth, RIA growth. Uh, Snowden Lane, obviously, one of the faster growing RAs out there. Uh, before we get into the conversation though, do you want to just maybe, for folks who don't know, give a brief overview of Snowden Lane, uh, who you are, where you sit in the ecosystem? Absolutely. So Snowden Lane partners, you know, in the independent space, there's so many different types of firms out there. We're a hybrid RAA broker dealer. We're an employee-based model with our financial advisors owning equity in the firm and everyone, I always like to say, carrying around the same business card, really building the business together. We're about 10 and a half billion in assets, 140 employees with 13 offices across the country. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the growth, I would say the majority, but the, the, the growth strategy has been an acquisition one, right? You've participated in a lot of M&A. How would you say that you differ, if you do, from some of the other firms that are doing the same thing? Is mm-hmm. there, a, is there a, a way that you would characterize your target for acquisition? versus another firm or how? Sure. You, you know, I do think some of these models are self-selecting. Uh, the way I would differentiate our firm is we really provide the best of both worlds. So you're joining a company that provides all of the back office services and support that you're accustomed to. So a lot of our recruits come out of large wirehouse firms where compliance, supervision, HR, finance, ops, you name it, is taken care of for them, but they they lack the autonomy to run their own business. And that's where I think we differentiate ourselves versus a wirehouse is our advisors own equity in the business. They already represent their own book of business that they have built over 20 years. Now you're actually holding the equity and the ownership in that company, not just in your own book of business, but in Snowden Lane overall and really achieving the diversification and kind of the upside of that uh, equity. For us, we differentiate ourselves when we're recruiting a financial advisor. I think we look for experienced advisors that are in growth mode and are frustrated because uh, you know their current environment is not allowing them to do that easily. So we want to encourage our advisors 
to have access to the products and services that they need to grow. Um, we provide all of the back office resources so they don't have to run their own business. They can focus on their clients. Uh, Stone Lane was one of the big firms that you know, we used to talk about the breakaway broker, right? The, uh, the firms leaving the wirehouse and joining the independent side. Is that still a trend that continues, or have firms like yours already kind of gotten what you can out of the wirehouses, mm-hmm. uh, and now you have to look elsewhere, or is that still fertile ground for acquisition? I, I do think that there's, there is fertile ground for acquisition out of the wirehouses. I think you're starting to see a consolidation trend more in the RAA space, so if you look at a macro level... Consolidation is happening more and more um, because people want to retire. People want to have liquidity out of the businesses that they've put together. So that's on the upswing. However, I do think wirehouse recruitment is is incredibly fertile. There's what we're seeing now is the teams that are the, the biggest culture carriers that loyal and really carried the businesses for those firms are picking their heads up. And so... Our, you know, our acquisitions, our recruitment out of wirehouses are starting to be larger teams with longer tenure experience, with broader and more complex books of business that maybe the independent space wasn't ready for five, ten years ago. So uh, more complex investments, mm-hmm. maybe more uh, complex more investments, bespoke solutions mm-hmm. for certain clients that had unique needs. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. and that's still a, a value prop that you bring to the market for. Teams. Yes. You're a place where mm-hmm. folks who have those kinds of situations can right. more easily find a home maybe than mm-hmm. other acquirers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the um, uh, the sophistication of our investment solutions platform speaks to a lot of that level of client service that our, our advisors are looking for. So what we've done is we founded the firm in 2011 and how we have built our firm is through feedback from our advisors, our recruits, and we've expanded in those particular areas that I think are hardest to achieve in a large institution. Things like direct alternative investments or you know, even the, you know, the confluence of where insurance and annuities come to play with our clients. I think those things are very hard to deliver within a wirehouse firm because there's so many hands trying to grab that revenue, but it is a wealth management solution and it should be facing our end clients. There are needs for them. And there's needs for them. So instead of it coming through an institutional silo and where there's multiple hands trying to grab that revenue, let's really pull this together for our private clients. We're a wealth management only firm, so we don't have the conflicts of interest with different divisions within our business to get those solutions and put them in the right wrapper for a private client. And increasingly, uh, you're finding the resources available to the independent space for those kinds of things, right? I mean, it used to be these were kind of products, for lack of a better word, that only the big financial service firms did. But now, because of technology largely and the networking, that there is more out there that can replicate that experience for the client. Absolutely. And I think those the technology uh, and the openness to work with independent firms has expanded greatly for those products and services. I think the hardest thing that we have as an independent industry is 
there is a world of resources out there, right? And so it's almost debilitating with the amount of choice that we have. Not only the amount of choice, but how do you deliver that choice? So open architecture is amazing. It's a great thing to have access points to all of these different components to help support your clients. But if they don't talk to each other, they don't integrate, they don't, you know, deliver very easily, it's not it's not a great solution for your advisors or for your clients. So I think it, it is really important for not just a unique investment solution, but also a platform that pulls it together for the advisor's experience um, to make it easier to really give it to their end clients. Because um, open architecture without organization is... Is, is mayhem. mayhem, mayhem <laughs> yeah. Chaos. And, chaos. And without integration. Would you say that um, in your, when you look at your growth trajectory going forward, uh, and you look at maybe some of the things that are constraints to that growth trajectory, would that be one of them? Or is, is you know, the market for new teams to acquire, is that, I'm assuming, still out there? Will you just have right. still more to be done there? What is, what is the constraint that you have now for growth? It's a great question because, you know, I think that's what we look at as a management team each year. You know, where are the log jams in our business? Where are, are we slowing ourselves down or where do we see the market slowing us down? And I think to a certain extent, it's, and it's what I spoke about today, it's the idea where you want to invest in your own business and grow it. Uh, so that you can continue to to manage for the future. And what I mean by that is hiring. So you have to acquire talent to serve and support the business. If you anticipate growth, that talent should be hired six months beforehand. You want to make sure that you're investing in your own business and preparing it for growth. And I think that's one of the log jams that we've seen and, and we've learned from is, you know, you cannot just add after the growth happens, really anticipating which areas of your business are creating those log jams. Where do you see tension um, and where do you see things slowing down? And I think a lot of times the solve for that is people, putting the right people in the right spots, hiring incredible talent to, to deliver on that. Are you able to find talent? That seems like a constraint of sorts. Yes. I know a lot of people talk about the difficulty of finding the right people. And so, you know, we talked about the internal constraint of just, you know, identifying those log jams and fixing it by hiring talent. You talk about the market log jam. Yeah. I, I think the market constraint is there's a lot of companies in our industry and it's finding the right talent, finding the right personality, the right work ethic, the right, you know, mindset for, for this type of business is difficult. And I do think sometimes it takes some stops and starts. It takes some thoughtfulness and, and structuring how you interview people, how you review those back office personnel that you're bringing on. Because I, you know, what I always tell my team is, a month or two worth of, of looking for the right person is going to save us years of hiring the wrong person. Yeah. So we really want to make sure we do this right. And 
different types of roles is much harder to fill than others. And I think that that's something where training and, you know, investment in our industry as a whole, I love to hear about the financial planning and universities and the give back that, that we're providing there, because that's only going to help with that market constraint that we have right now. Right. right. Have you noticed any uh, slowdown in the, maybe the broader acquisition market uh, because of the wobbly markets, higher interest rates, right? Uh, fear of recession, maybe, maybe not. Uh, has that kind of put a damper on things, or is there still activity to be... I think it, it definitely puts a damper on on timing of of transitions or if you're recruiting or timing of those acquisitions, people get cold feet. I have found no matter what, people get cold feet at different times. You know, when we're recru- recruiting individual advisors, there's always a period of time where they say, oh, you know, let's put this off a month or let's let's put this off till next year. There's never a great time to to either transition or to sell your firm. This is a major life change for you as an individual, a major business decision for something that you have built in the case of an acquisition. So there's always some discomfort. And, you know, I think that the market itself can contribute to that or can be a rationale. Um, But if it's the right fit and it's the right, um, you're, you're, running towards something, you know, you like where you're headed, I think you're going to make that decision no matter what. Mm-hmm. No real slowdown because of the market conditions. It's almost it's not a yeah. transaction. It's not a light transaction. Right. This is a big thing. So the broader markets maybe don't have it. Especially if you're thinking longer term. So if it's the right, you know, from a strategic decision for your firm to purchase, I think you're still going to make those purchases in those uh, in this type of market. If it's the right timing for you and the right partner, I think if you're selling your business, you're still going to make those decisions. And it's maybe that that gray area that slows down a little bit. Has the profile of a, of a great acquisition target for Sand Lane changed over the years? It has. It has. I, I think the profile when we were first starting was much more entrepreneurial, much more a different type of team, a different type of advisor team originally. And for me, you know, I, I can kind of point to that from a personality standpoint. Somebody who's, you know, built their book of business for 20 years and is going to join a firm where they are the first billion of assets at that firm, that takes a different type of person than somebody who's joining a firm with 70 financial advisors and 10 billion in assets under management. Um, and I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is, is, what we were talking about earlier, I think our firm can handle more complex business now than it did earlier on. So you're looking at different types of teams with different types of client bases as well. So we're starting to see family offices. We're starting to see ultra high net worth components to businesses, more private client, more banking, more, you know, more interesting areas that are logical for us as we expand our services. And I think that opens up different types of team opportunities. I imagine, I imagine that there's some thinking that uh, when you bring a team in who maybe has some sort of specialization in maybe trust estates mm-hmm. or specialization in some, you want to kind of synergize that or right. find the connection. Is that easy to do or... How you? Yeah. Because as I said, mm-hmm. a lot of the advisors who join Stone Lane are entrepreneurial yeah. folks. And the first, you know, they don't uh, maybe 
plugging into a thing where there's one component and there's all these other services around them that they don't really necessarily do. So we've we've seen a lot of cross um, partnership with our advisor teams that have joined in our firm. So and I think that that speaks to the partnership that we have and and kind of everyone's has the same equity interest and everyone wants each other to do well. So I think there's a component of looking for that right type of expertise. We see it a lot with our domestic teams partnering up with an international team for an opportunity with a private client that they have access to that is from Mexico. So that's, that's a typical type of internal partnership that we see for expertise. The other thing is we're very thoughtful in our recruitment. So I had mentioned that we're a teams-based model. We love the idea of having and recruiting a full team. That's to say, when a team comes on board, they might have, and my partner, Greg Franks, is the president of our firm. He, you know, he coined the term, every team should have a finder, a minder, and a grinder. And I love that because it's, it's so true. When we recruit a team, they might have a finder and a minder, and we like to also develop either internally or recruit as an add-on to a team, a specialization, call it the grinder, or maybe a CFP to join a team that didn't have one before, and and we call that a tuck-in. So while we have these major recruit events with teams, we also recruit individual talent to join a team or develop a talent already at our firm to help fill that role. That's going to help from a client service standpoint. That's also going to help from a generational standpoint. So you talk about succession planning. A team-based model is also incredible from a succession planning standpoint. So if you're looking for whether it's the grinder or a CFP or some other type of trust and estate talent, you're also looking for generational talent as well to make a logical succession plan internally because you don't want to have to have your teams look externally for a succession plan. We want to make sure we build that for continuity of the business as a whole, but for continuity for our clients um, to, to remain with the same group that they've been with for years. And speak to me a little, a little bit about the uh, compensation structure that mm-hmm. uh, folks who join you uh, fall under. Uh, you say everyone gets equity. So our our financial uh, advisors, when they join, part of the deal structure that they achieve is a component in cash and a component in equity. It's really up to them how much they take in each. Um, And and for us, uh, to be a partner in the firm requires a certain level of equity. Um, Partner means that you participate in ongoing um, decisions with the firm. You participate in an annual event with the shareholders. Um, And so, yes... We are a very equity-driven firm, but it's not just with equity shares. I think it's with our entire compensation structure. So um, each book of business, we, you know, our advisors are paid as a percent of that book of revenue that they, you know, they bring to the firm. But at the end of each year, we take a look at the P&L of that specific team, and they participate as a team in the P&L of their own book of business. And so, again, while that's not an actual stock that they own, it is ownership in the sense that they, they have a vested interest in how they run their team, how they run their own P&L within our infrastructure. Sure. They can grow that bit of... Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Like a- and it, it's a win-win-win. It aligns the interest for our equity shareholders 
for our advisors from a compensation standpoint and, and for our business uh, overall. Is, are you, do you reach a point or do you consider reaching a point at Stone Lane where uh, it almost doesn't, uh, mm-hmm. not that it doesn't make sense to grow, but that growth can bring some problems, right? Yep. Uh, and you lose some of what you were just speaking about, the ability to you know, cross-pollinate or solution over here for the supplies over there. Um, you begin to lose that. You know, like, right. It becomes more of a, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a corporation. You know? Well, uh, no. Is that something you guys are cognizant of? Or we are. Or not there yet? <laughs> we are cognizant about it because you... You know, your culture changes and adjusts as you grow, especially if you grow in stops and starts, um, you know, in leaps and bounds is probably a better term. Um, If you're growing that fast, you're going to have areas where, oh, this isn't like it used to be very quickly. Um, I I think we're worlds away from uh, not being considered a boutique. I think you can have a boutique uh, delivery of your services to your end clients, a boutique uh, culture and and still be um, efficient with some of the areas of your business. So I think there's there's this balance of scale we talk about. This balance of kind of you know a consultant comes in and and looks at different statistics of your business. How can you improve? All of that is incredible and useful from a management standpoint and and from growing the business. But we also are very cognizant and thoughtful around maintaining that culture because I think it, it's not just internally, but it really feels like a boutique in how we deliver our services to our clients. So if we lose that, I think we lose our value add to our clients. Um, at 140 people, I think we're way a long time away from ever being, you know, having that problem. I think, you know, 500, 1,000 financial advisors, I think you can still have a boutique level of service. Okay. Is that the goal? Yes, okay. that's the goal. Yeah, is it stated somewhere? Do you have that? Um, you know, you, you talk about five-year plans. I, I think we would love to have, um, you know, 500 financial advisors i think we can triple our business and still feel the same um and you know you you also talk about do you take it globally at some point we have an incredibly amazing international client base and i think it's exciting you know to think about how how what that would look like if you're delivering the service from other countries um so there's expansion beyond the u.s on our minds as well um but yeah interesting mm-hmm. well this has been great yeah. uh, Allison yes. head of enterprise development at Stone Lane Partners thanks very much for joining me great thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you in a challenging year how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals by following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.